Hey guys, and welcome to tonight's episode of Croonscast. Tonight we're sitting down with Elizabeth, who is in the RAF, and she's going to talk to us about her journey. So without further ado, let's bring Elizabeth into the room. Hi Elizabeth. So for those tuning in, uh, can you just explain a little bit about yourself, who you are, what you do, and then we'll get stuck into some really interesting questions and hear about your story. Yeah, of course. Um, so hi everyone. Um, my name is Elizabeth. Um, I'm in the Royal Air Force. I have been for 20 years now. Um, it's been so, so long when I say that. Um, I'm originally from Scotland, but living down in High Wycombe at the minute. I don't know what else you want me to say. Oh, hi, Wickham's absolutely lovely. Um, yeah, I only recently moved down here actually, uh, last July, and and yeah, I'm loving it. Um, God, I hate introductions. Ask me some questions. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, it's just because anytime I've been at High Wickham, I've really enjoyed myself. It is a really beautiful part of the world, and I think that's one yeah. of the few things that's really beneficial about the military. Like, I we just moved from South Wales. Um, around St. Athens to the Cotswolds and it's like you oh, couldn't ask for a nice place to live you know? yeah I think uh, throughout, throughout the coming. whole of my career I'm oh, sorry yeah throughout the whole of your career you probably have a wonderful place it's been the RAF oh wow beautiful places yeah beautiful <laughs> so for the people tuning in let's talk about uh, your life before your diagnosis so what was yeah. Elizabeth up to like um when did you join the RAF and sort of was there anything in that period that might have been an indication that maybe you had IBD earlier or anything like that? Who was Elizabeth before diagnosis? Before? Um, yeah, so, well, gosh, I, I joined the, the military when I was 16 years old, you know, just uh, I was still a child. Um, and I, I, was, I, I was never ill. I had my appendix out in 2012, but apart from that, you know, and, and well, a few car crashes along the way, but in terms of illness, I, there was nothing ever wrong with me. You know, I, I, I wouldn't, I would get the odd cold or something like that, but you know, in terms of actually a medicated illness, there was nothing ever wrong with me. I think maybe kind of early, early to mid twenties, I might have struggled with, a bit of constipation but like it would never have given me any kind of cramps or any kind of rectal bleeding or any sickness or pain um and it wasn't until I was like 32 33 um when that was 2018 yeah until I became symptomatic and you know all of my life I've been active um and when I say active I mean measure activity you know, running most days, cycling, swimming most days, always doing something, traveling. Um, I mean, you, you'll know yourself in the military, you know, deployments, exercises. So, yeah, just a really, really active lifestyle and, and no sign of an illness and, until I became symptomatic. So when was it you actually started to become symptomatic? Um, so it was... Uh, January 2018 um I just it started off with with, with bleeding and a lot of a lot of blood 
and you know I, I, I thought I had like I, thought I had piles I thought I had hemorrhoids um I actually went to the doctor and said look is, is this normal I thought it was maybe a, a protein supplement that I was taking for for the training that I was doing at the time um they, they couldn't find anything my bloods were normal um I all of a sudden stopped being as constipated as as, as maybe I once was um <laughs> Um, but then, but, but I mean, n nothing horrific. It was just probably like a normal person. <laughs> um, so, so it's like not even any kind of like runny stools or urgency at that point. It was my my first indication that I was ill was was, was seeing blood, um, which was was clearly quite um, well concerning. Let's say, um, but I was, was I was a little bit silly. What was your mind at that time? <laughs> What was going through your mind when you started seeing these things happening? Um, were you were you concerned, or was this something you were ashamed of, or like how did you how did you manage that period? Um, I was I was just in absolutely total denial, you know, and I thought, oh well, then it's just, it's just a bit of blood, it's fine. Um, you know, I'm I'm still working, I'm still active, I'm still going to the gym every day, I'm still running. Um, you know, I was, I was I was probably running like faster than I'd ever run in all my life. Um, I don't know if you know the Recon, the 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 hill in um, Shropshire. I, mm -hmm. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. yeah, like literally, like flying up and down that, and uh, yeah, I was I was probably the fittest I'd, I'd, I'd been. So I was in absolute denial, and um, you know, and then I thought, well, if, well, okay, then well. If, if it's like blood and pain, then I'll then I'll go back to the doctors. Or if it's blood and sickness, I'll go to the doctors. Or if it's um, cramp and like severe diarrhea, I'll go back to the doctors. It was always like I kept on setting these like boundaries for myself. And and it's each funny, time it's, that, it's, it's still common that people do that as well. Terrible. <laughs> um, and then it it literally got to the stage where. I said to myself, well, okay, then I haven't collapsed yet, you know, and, and by by I got to that severe stage, you know, I was going to the toilet 15 to 20 times a day and it, and it wasn't even as if it was waste, it was just watery blood, like congealed, horrible blood and, and the cramps and the pains and it, the urgency, you know, I practically became incontinent. But I still said to myself, "Oh, don't worry. You haven't you haven't collapsed yet. You know, you're still going to work, and you're still being a human being." Um, so yeah, it's a bit silly um, when you look back on it now. Obviously, um, yeah. But it's like I said, it's a very difficult time, and most people, I think, would struggle um, at that point or admit to struggling at that point to really identifying the severeness of those mm -hmm. symptoms that you're experiencing and, and we do we try to gloss things over a lot particularly when it's scary and something yeah. that maybe we consider to be a taboo personally um, I know yeah. uh, from my own history that I tried to hide my disease for about 10 years um, yeah. you know my, oh, medically gosh. I couldn't but uh, I no. wouldn't tell anybody or talk to anybody about it. Um, I'm not sure if it was shame, but definitely there was an embarrassment factor. I didn't want to feel people yeah. would think that I was weak or whatever, you know. And through that time, I 
managed to be medically fit enough to deploy on a number of occasions, medically fit enough yeah. to uh, complete PTI courses and transfer into the PT core. Um, Great. So, yeah, it's like all those things, you're still able to do quite a lot. But, yeah, the symptoms in themselves, particularly at early onset, like so back in 2002, I I didn't go to the doctor until I had no option but to go to the doctor and yeah. so you're not alone in that one you're definitely not alone no. you know I had I had friends drag literally dragging me to the hospital <laughs> you know and I was like I, I just didn't want to go and you know I, mm-hmm. I, I didn't know I didn't know what it was and I didn't want to admit to it and I didn't want to to admit to being I don't know broken maybe yeah. And that's quite, and that's another big thing as well. Like, you know, exactly those words carry a huge weight. Like, so for you, like, what were you going through emotionally at the time uh, whilst you were dealing with something that you didn't know was going on? Um, gosh, I'm, I'm emotionally, I just, I've, the, the one aspect of, of me became really quite quite numb numb to it all because I you know if I'd acknowledged it then like I I think I would have just broken um so I just tried to keep my mind focused on what I was achieving and what I was still able to do instead of focusing on my limitations um and you know I, I I think I became quite quite resilient to breaking down or being emotional because I hadn't acknowledged it um but it was it was certainly a different case once I was diagnosed and once I went down all of the hospital admissions and once I was in hospital and I, and I couldn't function anymore or I couldn't function to the level that I was functioning previously and as each medication failed and then I was put onto different medications and they would fail and then I would be back in hospital and then then I was on infusions and you know but yeah 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 I did struggle emotionally like kind of further on down the line because there was a real problem that I had to address and there was a real problem that, that was fundamentally changing my ability to lead the life that I was leading um and also, you, you know, like I was embarrassed. You know, I was like I was having accidents, and you know, I was always running off to the toilet, and I couldn't talk to anybody about it, and I didn't want to talk to anybody about it, and I didn't want anybody to know anything. And um, I used to get when I was having really bad flares, I would then the inflammation in my joints, my wrists, my knees, um, my ankles, like you know it. It was sore to even walk sometimes when I was really poorly. Um, so yeah, so that I'm not too sure if I got depressed from it. I mean, maybe there was a, a certain level of of sadness. Um, so yeah, so I mean, obviously it did affect me emotionally, um, but I just I refused to allow it to affect me like emotionally to the breaking point because I just I had I had too much to do I had too much to look forward to you know like I love life and I love doing stuff um so yes I didn't let it break me emotionally if that makes sense 
No, that makes it makes complete sense. So what point then were you at where it drove you to then seek medical attention? Because, you know, there's a lot of things stuck in there. But what, what, at what point was it like, right, I've, I've reached that threshold and I'm, like, I'm going to seek medical help? What was that for you? Um, I, I had to, I ended up in accident emergency with a partial prolapse. Um, and that's, yeah, that, that was because my rectum was so badly inflamed and I was just losing so much blood. I just, I, I just wouldn't, I, I wouldn't, I wasn't stopping bleeding. Um, and yeah, like that, that was, yeah, I went, I went to accident emergency and, um, kind of said help. <laughs> Yeah, um, and then I saw well, a lovely, that's lovely. A really serious. That is, um, that is something. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and I was just, yeah, I, I just, I just didn't, I didn't want to to admit that I was ill. I really didn't, and I, and I thought my body was strong enough to, to fight anything. You know, I thought, oh, don't worry, Elizabeth, just change your diet, add, add, but you know, biocultures into your gut. Take this supplement remove sugars, uh, um, go on a low FODMAP, uh, FODMAP diet, you know, and, I, and I'd make your own kefir, <laughs> you know, gosh, I just, I tried so many different things with, with food. Um, I think on, on reflection, at the time of diagnosis and being poorly, I've, you know, I was going through a, a a few changes that had a relationship change and had a professional change and you know maybe there was a lot of stress going on in my life um and nobody likes to say that they're stressed but you know gosh like I'm an adult and I, I can I can reflect on things but maybe like stress was a little bit of a trigger to it um so I tried to balance myself as a person so that I wasn't as stressed and I tried to be I don't know, I tried to lead a better lifestyle, but at the end of the day, I had a disease that was eroding my intestines away. I don't think any lifestyle changed when it's got to that stage of a, of a disease that it's going to cure you. Um, and I know there's so many advocates out there that, um, you know, change your diet and it'll cure you and do this. And gosh, if if I had one other person tell me to do yoga and go and relax, it'll cure you. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think I would have screamed. <laughs> but it's so true. It is so true. There is a lot of stuff out there, particularly now on social media, where you really got to question the sources because mm. there's, there's there's one bloke who I kind of respect who's in, who's in that field. And I've, I've had him on the show and yeah, it's fine. He doesn't overly prescribe that he's cured it. Whenever he chats to him, okay. he he admits he's, he is in remission. Um, yeah, he's kind of gone like kind of vegan sort of thing. But there are a lot of people mm -hmm. out there that I feel are very dubiously claiming that they've cured themselves. Cured um, themselves. You may have gone into remission, and you may have supported your body whilst it is in a period of of calmness but essentially when you're in a flare-up and your body is it's like friendly forces it's just attacking itself and it is for me you know I was going to going to the toilet and I would literally see 
tissue, like bits of tissue and blood, congealed blood that just, that food isn't going to help, wasn't going to help me at that stage. So we've had our diagnosis and, yep. you know, you, you then, how many years was it between that being diagnosed before it became clear that you needed surgery? Um, so I was diagnosed in the May 18 and then by the September um, I had another period, had, I had on and off bouts of poorliness but from the May until the September, September I was in hospital for three weeks and the consultant, um, you know, she kind of looked me in the eye and she said that we, we need to talk about surgery mm -hmm. and oh my goodness me, that was like I don't know if it was Long the end of the world. It. Yeah, it was just like, what, what, what are you talking about? Hang, hang on a minute. No, 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 no. We're not, we're not, we're not, we're not even talking about it. You know, I was like, nope. And goodness me, my, my, my consultant. You know, she's, she's been in her field for, I think just, just over thirty years. You know, and she is so she's she's been an inspiration to me and she was so patient and so calm with me but you know every single time that I ended up in hospital or every single follow-up appointment you know she would she would look at me and she said look Elizabeth we need to talk about surgery um in the September so in the May when I was diagnosed I was what uh prednisolone so I was put onto a very very high steroid oral steroid um, and that just that, that sent me loopy and I, I didn't go on with prednisolone at all um, and by the September I try I was put straight on to infliximab infusions um, they were all, infliximab was only I was only partially responsive so after I think was that about two months September yeah by December yeah by December I was on a different infusion called vedalizumab and then december was oh december was all right january was okay and come february march again um they decided that i wasn't responsive to the vedalizumab and then i was put on to a medical trial i was really lucky i was fortunate to try um the first um oral um, biologic so i was on which is called what's it called tofacitinib yeah tofacitinib um and i was, I was on that. Say it's gonna have at least three syllables yeah i know <laughs> all these really long ones um and unfortunately part of that medical trial um they actually had um people die on it um from uh palm, i can't i can never say it I, maybe you can say it p pulmonary palm oh help me out p uh, when you've got a pulmonary embolism that's it <laughs> um thanks um so yes yeah, so i was taken off off of the tough setting up immediately and i was only off that for a week and a half and i was rushed in, in for my first surgery yeah oh my gosh that's a short turnaround but you were mentioning before that you were very hesitant about the surgery so we had that bombshell moment but what, what was going through your life at the time where were you in your life 
you know, was there was there what goals were you trying to achieve, or was there delays <laughs> that you put in place? Uh, yeah, but very much so. Um, so as I said, from the September, um, my my surgeon was talking talking to me about surgery, and I was just no, 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 definitely not. And then as I started to kind of like go down, um, as time passed. I thought to myself, oh, okay, then maybe I am going to need surgery. But hang on a minute, Elizabeth. <laughs> we're going to um, we're going to change jobs. Uh, <laughs> we're stupidly going to do an Ironman, um, and we're going to focus on the Ironman. And you're going to train, and that's going to become your focus. And you're going to get stronger, and you're going to get fitter, and you're going to be more like more resilient. Uh, yeah so and then I would talk to my consultant and say right okay yeah I'll, I'll have surgery after I've been to Ironman Vichy and she just oh she was in despair she was in absolute despair <laughs> that's brilliant but again it's one of those things like you know facing surgery particularly when it's something that we haven't expected to face in our life mm -hmm. um you know you've been There's diagnosed no <laughs> Yeah, diagnosed fairly late in life, and yeah. to be told, you know, right, we need to cut this out of you. It's 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 a very scary prospect, and it's something I think that most people try to avoid. I, mean, I, I mentioned to you before that there are countless people out there in the world. For, they're not wrong, um, but are avoiding surgery because yeah. they would rather live their life on large doses of prescriptions because of the fear of what having that surgery could be or would do to their life and like having an ostomy bag yeah. seems to be that step too far for their own personal health yeah. um, so you're not alone in in creating those delays i'd be interested in how was your ironman training going <laughs> i loved it um i like funny enough swimming would swimming didn't affect me and you know, I could, I, I could go for hours on the bike, and I could happily get up. You know, in the morning, I would spend a couple of hours in the pool in the morning. Um, well, by the by the end time I was poorly, it was like I was up to about an hour forty, three times a week, and then an hour every other day. So you know, my swimming was fine; it didn't irritate me whatsoever. Um, my cycling wasn't too bad, um, but I couldn't eat or drink anything beforehand, and I couldn't eat eat anything during my cycling um but my running <laughs> oh I, I i don't know i don't even know um why i put myself through it you know i was going up i was running with like tissue that stuffed down my sleeves because you know i was going to have accidents and i was up in northumberland at the time so you know i was i was running stupidly and like late at night so, so nobody would see me with head torches and you know I would be diving into bushes doing what you do <laughs> um, yeah no definitely definitely running is a search I'm, I'm out like I can remember being on, on exercises and going into the start of a flare and just being on random okay. patrols and having to stop the patrol to break track and going yeah <laughs> being, go, not, go and not do, do what place. you need to do no. Yeah, so I'm completely with you. But also awesome. as well, swimming. I did find swimming mm -hmm. throughout my entire history as being very relaxed. So if I was in, in flare yeah. or 
uh, or feeling run like feeling fatigue for for one of a better yeah, yeah fatigue yeah. just just, just being in the flat. pool yeah being in the pool I could always be in a pool and after a few minutes I'd be able to sort of have a a moderate session maybe not hard session. yeah exactly yeah, yeah. To, but you can just keep on checking over <laughs> yeah definitely so what um then so what was the the crisis point where you went right okay surgery's happening was it a decision that you had or was the decision no. taken away the, yeah the, the the decision was taken away from me um so the um the oral medication that i mentioned tofacitinib, of um the medical trial that was um that was my last chance saloon like and you know my my my, my consultant made that exceptionally clear to me saying that if this doesn't work that you're going to die if you don't have surgery um and by that point she'd convinced me to already talk to a surgeon um so you know and i and i think that really helped because you know the first surgeon that i had she was lovely so i i, I I'd already like formed those connections with with who was potentially going to do this surgery that I was in total denial about. Um, so by the time that I was taken into hospital um, under like emergency situation, you know, I was just oh gosh, I think I was just so ill and I was just so exhausted, and I knew that I didn't have another option um, because the, the lining had. Um, so, so and there was areas where where it had I went in and I had my scans and they were just like we're, we're operating like now because it, it it just shown so much inflammation so so much like dark thin tissue or or whatever they just said look we, you you have no choice <laughs> um, yeah so I think by that point I was just oh okay then <laughs> I don't want to die. <laughs> um mm. yeah it's very scary very scary what was so what was yeah, your uh, yeah, mindset going into that because because having the decision sometimes the decision being removed from you can feel like a blessing like a weight lifted sometimes it can feel yeah. very oppressive um so what was yeah. your mindset going into that theater before the anesthetist gave you that magic countdown from 10 um do you know what i i i think i was actually relieved I was so relieved. God, I'm going to get emotional. <laughs> um, I was so relieved that all of the hassle and all of the back and forward to to hospital and all of the hospital admissions and all of the accidents that I was having and all of the pain and you know, I was stages that I was like I couldn't even walk to my bathroom. You know, I was crawling to my bathroom and then I was lying on bathroom floors being sick and oh just it was awful so I think by the time surgery came um yeah I was there, there was a sense of relief there really was a sense of relief um and looking back now would I have wanted to continue with infusions and continue with you know I was on like the, the medical the biological infusions i was on iron infusions i was on potassium infusions like i was at the hospital like every second week for all of these different treatments and you know back and forward and 
it just became so consuming that by the time I had surgery, as I was going into surgery, I was like, okay then, uh, let's do this. <laughs> um, there was a lot of complications with that surgery though. So I mean, the, I, I ended up in hospital for two weeks after that first surgery. Um, yeah, they, uh, yeah, I, I, was, I, was, I was really sorry. Yeah, pardon me, sorry. Are you comfortable to talk about the complications or is that something yeah, you're yeah, not happy yeah. about? No, 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 I'm, no I'm, I'm happy to talk about anything. Um, there was, when, when, when they removed um, my intestine, they, they, there, was, there was a lot of scar tissue that, that they, I, I, I don't know, that they couldn't, or, or is it called lesions? Um, and then, um, there was a lot of bleeding and we couldn't like stop the bleeding um, and I ended up I think the surgery should have taken I think my mum expected it or she was told that it was going to take like four hours or four and a half hours or something and I was ended up in there for nine hours um, you know and my my blood pressure like plummeted and you know my 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 essentially they they told me that everything just shut down and they couldn't they couldn't get things to like work again um <laughs> and um yeah when i woke up after i was i mean gosh i was like two it was two 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 and a half days after that i actually realized what was going on and i was and then i was an alias um and that was just uh, horrific. I, I probably, it was, yeah, <laughs> that was from that surgery and, and the memory that I've got in my head just now, that was, I, I wanted to die. I like, I was in so much pain. It was, I was exhausted. I couldn't, like, I had tubes everywhere. Um, I had this, my, my bag leaked and I didn't know what was going on um it was the first time that I'd, I'd seen it or I'd touched it or I'd felt it um and all I wanted to, and I mean this this is a few days after like all I wanted to do was go to the toilet I just had this urge to go to the toilet and like, the nurse just kept on saying to me don't don't be ridiculous you you can't go to the toilet um and yeah, I was just, I was, I was done. And I literally just, I wanted to die for a bit, for that period, that 24 hour period that I was just, my mind was blown. I just didn't want to cope with it at all. Um, and that's, and, and looking back on that now, it's actually really hard because, you know, like, I've, I've got so much to live for you know and I've, I'm like so positive with a lot of things and I'll deal with a lot of things but just after that surgery and after being ill for so long and having to deal with it I think and you know hiding it and dealing with it myself and being in so much pain and just being absolutely exhausted yeah I just I wanted I wanted everything to end that's yeah that's quite 
quite shocking when I when I when, when I admit that I probably haven't admitted that to anybody. Um, yeah. <laughs> I mean that's that's a very big uh, a set of emotions to have gone through in such a short space of time. Again, um, you know, it's, it's a very real set of feelings. You know, you've you've done yeah. something, you've committed to an action that, in your mind, is going to save me, make me feel better, allow me to live my life, and yeah. all of a sudden, you've committed. And now you're stuck in a hospital bed feeling the worst you've ever felt. And ever I'll be honest felt. with you, I, I, I feel your pain. Um, yeah. And I, I was in a similar, like, I don't think I was quite as down, the, down that path as what you're describing, yeah. but I definitely had some very, very emotionally low moments um, in yeah. the period of time immediately post-surgery while still in hospital. Um, yeah. to the point where I'm, I'm like, just, just really tearful. Um, oh yeah. Like, I don't know if it happened to you, obviously you had a lot more complications going on, but did you, did you have a stall at the time while you were in hospital where no. your, your intestines would stop and you couldn't, so you'd have to have an IG tube and things like that? Oh yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Uh -huh. Oh gosh. Yeah. Oh, I, I beg for the IG tube. <laughs> After after every surgery, yeah, I've, I've had I've had um, the IG tube um, because it's just it's a relief. <laughs> but then having that stuck up you and not being able to, you know, some a nurse coming round and aspirating all of this fluid out of you, and you're thinking, well, why isn't my body like working properly? Um, yes, yeah, sorry, yeah, I, yeah, I did experience that too. Yeah, and it's it's crazy that you need you know you need to have that um, in there, but like just yeah. having that happening is uh, is enough. It was enough to send uh, me over the edge into a real emotional spiral. I guess like the point where I was like messaging yeah. people that I really respected in my life, like my old RSM, and going wow. uh, like it was just weird, just mess weird messages. Um, yeah, I, I, yeah. Could blame, I could blame the, the anaesthetic and stuff coursing through me to be thrown yeah. out of whack or whatever. But yeah, it's, it's a very <laughs> emotional time. And I think, yeah, I think, I think lying there on the hospital bed, essentially losing all of your dependence and be, or being yeah. completely dependent at that point on yeah. healthcare professionals, particularly when you're yeah. a very dependent woman. Um, yeah, <laughs> yeah. This 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 ticket that was meant to help you is now in your eyes hindering you, and you, you know there, there doesn't seem to be a way out from that. There really doesn't. No. Um, no. So I totally get it. Totally get it. So what um, we've started on this process. So life with an ostomy for the period of time that you had it. What was that like mm -hmm. for you? So your initial immediacy was fear, um, like you know well very high levels of fear very high levels of emotion but what was it like mm -hmm. looking down and, and looking at this ostomy um once it started to function let's go from once it started to actually work <laughs> um, like how, how did that feel and and was it off-putting for you were you um were you discouraged mm -hmm. by the sight of it did it make you feel different about yourself um yeah i um uh 
I mean, hate is is a really strong word, but um, yeah, I I I hated it. I hated it, and I I probably hated my body with it. Um, and um, I just I thought to myself, oh right, okay then, well I can't I can't do anything about it. I'll just hide it, you know. I'll just ignore it and I'll hide it, and. I, th- I think to to a certain extent i i um i don't know i th- i i was all right if nobody knew about it and then i was i was i was okay if if i couldn't see it like in my clothes and and i know you can't see it but i mean you you know you know you know yourself that that you can feel it and you know it's there um and I didn't mind, so, so my first surgery, so I've had three surgeries. Um, my first surgery gave me um, an end ileostomy. And the end ileostomy was, um, I didn't have many problems with it or, or troubles with it. But it wasn't until I had my second surgery when I had my J pouch created and I had a loop ileostomy that it just gave me so much trouble with leaks, with really damaged skin um with blockages gosh I was in and out of hospital with blockages and because of that continual burning and because of all of the leaks and because you know like I, I went through a period where like if I had a leak on my clothes I would, I would I would have to throw the clothes in the bin because I didn't I felt dirty and I felt just ugh, just disgusting you know and and I and I think I don't know if I if I ever got over that if I'm honest with you. Um, but I know it's a very natural yeah. thing to feel, mm. um, particularly you know you you didn't plan on this. This is something that was thrust upon you by the gods or the the whatever's life, um, and yeah, it's a very embarrassing thing. And actually, I'll be honest with you, my uh, end of the ostomy was the best part of. Uh, my ostomy life, yeah. shall we say. Um, I actually, you know, I had a really good functioning time uh, with an end of the ostomy. I had yeah. minimal impact on my day-to-day, yeah. um, very comfortable. Um, output was reasonable, um, but, yeah, yeah I, didn't, I didn't experience any bag leaks, didn't experience any, yeah, to, to be fair, like, um, during that period, I, I was back in the gym. I was training at, yeah, yeah, me, me, me too. Definitely, definitely. Um, yeah. But then, the loop like you mentioned, that's when I first experienced bag leaks. That's when I first experienced, oh. like, I, had, I had a blockage in hospital after my first thing. Every surgery, um, in yeah. the immediate, within, within the first week, I would have a, a stall where I'd need an IG tube. But the, uh, the loop ileostomy, that was a, different thing altogether that was just like you experienced bag leaks. they don't prepare you for it <laughs> no they don't but well the other thing is what you're talking about your your surgery time so your first surgery was abnormally long um because of yeah. severe complications which again it's, it's scary and it's all right um i feel for your mum but the second surgery for me i didn't realize that it was going to be that long i don't i don't know whether or not i i maybe just didn't pay attention when yeah. i was having my complication um, yeah, but I yeah. went in 
and it was it was it was nearly i'm pretty sure it was like a 10-hour surgery or something crazy yeah uh, yeah it, it, no no you're absolutely right yeah my, mine was very very like yeah up, up to those kind of nine and a half ten hours and you know and i had a lot of complications there as well they had to like cut me open so i've got a cesarean scar from that and um sorry i've totally just like jumped in on your story <laughs> sorry no, no, we're here. We're here to talk about you. <laughs> um, yeah, I didn't. I didn't expect that surgery to be that long, and yeah. I will go because my mum and uh, the, the, my girlfriend at the time. I told them, oh, "I'll be about four hours," and uh, yeah, it'd be I was fine. like, <laughs> "They'll be worried. They'll be worried." It's like trying to get out of the hospital bed, and like you know, at that point you can't even feel your legs and stuff. You like can't that. even but, move. <laughs> yeah. So what what turned around for you? Did you? You mentioned that you didn't really feel you ever sort of overcame those feelings about your ostomy. Um, looking back now, is there a way you feel you could have found a way to improve your feelings? Like, what um, do you have concerns if they if you're told that you have to go back to an ostomy? And what what does that make you feel like potentially now? That thought. Um. Uh, oh. <laughs> I don't know. Um, I, th I think if I had to go back to an ostomy, then I would have to go back to an ostomy for a very real reason, you know. And again, it would be, you know, if my, if I'm very poorly with my J pouch, or I have um, like pouchitis, or if there's a leak or there's a damage, you know. So, um, oh gosh, and I would probably wait until the very last moment again so that it wasn't an option for me and then when it finally happened then then I would be thankful because because essentially you, you know I'm, I'm saying that I, I I I hated my body but you know it, it gave me like a lease of life it, it gave me it it got rid of an illness and gave me another opportunity to live um and I know that sounds really dramatic but it, it gave me a better life than what I was leading and I think through the whole journey and you know the backwards and forwards to hospital finding out about myself like developing my emotions and and my strength as a person you know I think if if that if Well, I think uh, I think you, your your earbuds might have just gone. That's okay. If you uh, change your mic settings on the uh, computer to the, you should have a mic inbuilt. Can you see? Can you hear me now? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Um. Yeah. Sorry about that. Um. So, so yeah. So I think if. You know, if, if I went back to the hospital and they said, look, you, you've got no other option, then you have you have to have an ostomy, then I, I, I would accept it because because you don't have any other option. And it's not the end of the world. It's definitely not the end of the world. It might feel like it at different stages, 
but you know what you, you you learn to adapt and you overcome and i wouldn't have a loopy leostomy you know i would have another endy leostomy and i think the reason why i hated it so much was because of the bag leaks and because of the skin irritation um and you know just for anybody that, that that's listening you know an endy leostomy is far easier because all of the waste that kind of like goes into the bag but if you've got a loopy leostomy sometimes um where the where the opening let's say of, of your small intestine it's very close to your skin so if it's very close to your skin then it, it, it the waste kind of like will go onto your skin and then it'll make the the adhesion of the ostomy bag come away and that's why you get the leaks but whilst this waste is touching your skin it's also burning your skin and it's agony is sore like, and it can become like real bad problems um so you know it, it's not the end of the world if somebody was if my consultant was to tell me you have to go go and have your ostomy again um i would still have my life and i would still have my journey and um, i would still be i would still be me um but i can truthfully say i don't want it I think that's, you know, that's again a very valid opinion to have. Like your experience with it possibly hasn't been the best. Um, did they um, at any point start to talk to you about um, women's health and the, the impact that this may have on you as a woman with regards to like your period cycle, your menstrual cycle and potentially having uh, children and things like that? Was that ever discussed with you and how did that make you feel? Um, so, so I had uh, two very frank conversations with um, one with my consultant and then one with a surgeon, who were really informative and really quite nice. And um, you know, there was talk about um, initially when I first spoke about surgery, um, I was like given some information about freezing freezing my eggs. Um, but I think because I was in denial, I didn't I didn't acknowledge it and I thought, oh no, it's fine. Um, and you know, I don't I don't know if I was I don't know if if maybe I would if I had more time to consider it, would I have would I have taken that option? Because I think the statistics are, you know, somebody with UC, your fertility is, or infertility, sorry, let, let's say infertility, is increased by 15%. And if you've had a J pouch and you've had all the surgery, um, your fertility, infertility, sorry, is increased by 50%. Um, now I know that I've got a lot of scar tissue down there because I've had so many complications. I know that they've where they've sewn the J pouch is against my vaginal wall. I know that around that area there's potentially going to be scar tissue that has affected my like fallopian tubes. Um, and you know that's. Um, yeah, that, that's 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 quite a big thing to, 
to take on. I'm not saying that I'm the most maternal person in the world. You know, I've never been maternal, but to have that choice taken away from you is 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 a different matter. You know the and and for some and and I think for somebody that's maybe in the process of having children or that they're desperate for children, you know, when your consultant is talking to you about freezing your eggs, like you shouldn't even be given it a second thought. Um, so yeah, and then I had a, a really horrible conversation with with, an, with another woman, um, and it and it was it, it's been my only negative experience actually, and maybe she was just having a bad day. I don't know, but it was a, it was a nurse that that I saw, and you know it was in between surgeries, and I was saying to her that I was going forward for a J-pipe surgery because, you know, to have it reversed, that, that's, a, that's, that's a decision that you can take or you can leave. You, you don't have to have the J-pipe. You don't have to have the reversal. Um, it's not right for everybody. Um, but this lady said, oh, what, what are you even having a J-pipe for? You know, you're, you're just, it's, it's going to fail in 15 years' time and, you know, you won't be able to have children, you know. And I just thought, oh, my goodness me. Um, so I, I just, I just kind of listened to what she had to say, and then walked out of the consultant room and and said, "Oh gosh, she must be having a bad day," <laughs> um, and didn't really take any notice of what what she said. But yeah, I remember I remember the surgeon kind of looking at me and talking to me about um, the risks of infertility and you know the the future adhesions and the lesions and uh yeah i think i don't know it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a tough one it is it's a tough one that not only as as a disease just popped out of nowhere it's taken taking one of your large organs it's then manipulated another one of your organs and then it's potentially got an impact, a continual impact on the rest of your life. You know, like if I'm 36, um, as I get older, I'm probably going to become more infertile anyway, and then I've already got only half a chance of, of conception. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's life, I suppose, it's life. and. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm here and I'm alive and, um, and, and, and I'm just really grateful for that, really, um, given everything. I think, you know, considering everything that has been going on, that's a very positive outlook to have. It certainly is a big thing to be told. I'm, I remember we had a conversation, um, or my surgeon and I had a conversation, and I ended up putting um, some sperm into a sperm bank um, just in case. And thankfully, not, nothing was wrong with me. But for males, I think we, as seems to be through nature, have the easier end of the stick or the lighter end of the sticks or the cleaner end of the stick, whatever you look at it. Um, in terms of the complications post-surgeries, like uh, one of the things I remember hearing about is um, where, the, where the pelvic wall starts to collapse because you've had your intestine removed, which means that things like 
carriage of a baby to term become very complicated and cesareans tend to be the main option that is available. You tend not to be allowed to have a natural birth or at least it's consultant-led. Check me out. I'm like a... No, and you're having this conversation with me and then um, my... Oh gosh, I don't know if you found this, but you, you know what the nurses, the IBD nurses, that, that if you get one or two and then you just hold on to them, don't you? And they're just wonderful, wonderful people. But yeah, af after I had um, my takedown, was it my takedown? Not my takedown, my, my J pouch. And again, there was bloody complications. And, you know, I've already got a cesarean scar. There's already like um, scar tissue there. So yeah, so I so a natural birth is out, out of the question. Um, and yeah, you're, you're so right where that vagina wall does start to collapse because it's not got its organs like surrounding it. Um, so yeah, you, you're, you're so right like in, in, in what you're saying. Um, so these, these are all like huge risk factors that, that you have to, you know, would I even be able to take a child to full term? And do I want to put myself through that? Or do I want to put my partner through that? Do I want to put a, a, a baby through that? You know, I, I, yeah. I don't know. There's, 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 there's a lot. Definitely, there's so many, so many deep questions. I don't think, um, I, I don't think you could ever potentially get to the resolute answer. I think there would always be a question mark over it, even if you were to decide to have a child. Um, like like I've I've had two children now, and I continuously question, uh, or is this thing because of that? Is this because of it? I mean, I'm sure that's completely normal as a parent, but it's just one of the random things. Like, if they were to start developing symptoms, I may start to try. I may weirdly blame myself for them developing those symptoms. Um, there's lots of different things as well. Like, both children had complications at birth. Um, one more severely than the other both healthy and completely fine now but again you're like going oh is this because of oh and, you know what I mean and it's like all both of those instances have got nothing to do with Crohn's disease nothing to do with the meal of the species and I am still sat there going is it because of my Crohn's is it because I've had a J pouch yeah <laughs> yeah you'll start to look to blame just blame yourself I mean my, my, my mum's also got an autoimmune disease and that was actually brought on through not not through conception, but like at the same time as having me, you know. And and my mum's now thinks that her she's got Addison's disease, which is an autoimmune disease, but it's not it's not it's not linked to Crohn's disease. It's not linked to ulcerative colitis. But, you know, my mum's blaming her and saying, "Well, I got poorly the same age as you got poorly when." I was carrying you, Elizabeth. What, what if you're going to get even more poorly? And I have to think, gosh, you, you, but you can't, you cannot think like that. You, you know, I think when you're presented with having a life-changing disease, you know, and for some people it's a life-limiting disease, but I like to kind of say that it's just, for me, it's life-changing. It's not limited me as person it's not going to limit my life and um, it's changed it's significantly changed my life and it's changed me as a person and in a number of different ways 
um, and maybe going forward in life uh, will have changed certain aspects, but it's not going to limit what what I do in life. And and you know, I think that's that that's been such a kind of strong driver for me through all of this, right from seeing the blood in the toilet for the first time until today when I'm sat here. You know, I, I refuse to allow my illness to limit what I want to do in life. And, you know, and if later on down the line, I do want children and and I can't conceive or I can't have one or whatever, you know, that there's there's other options out there. So it's not, it's not going to, it's not going to stop me doing the things that I would like to do. Does that make sense? There's always other options. There's always other options for things, including having an ostomy, not having an ostomy. Um, you know, the most important thing is that that you're living the best life or the best quality of life that you can managing the cards that you've been dealt. I think that's uh, really important. I really like the, your take on it there that it's life-changing, not life-limiting, and that it's us ourselves, you, myself, me, myself, and I, that set the limitations within that. You know, ultimately, life is still there to be seized with this disease. Whether we choose to um, find a way is the question. Um, we've had a question come in from the bleachers from uh, Philippa Trice. She wanted to know if you found a barrier cream that helped you with the leaks. Um, so I found found quite a few things, um, but but no, no. I try, I tried kind of like talcum powders, and I tried like not not talcum powders, as in you buy Johnson's talcum powder. Um, my stoma nurse was, was was really great, and you know she she gave me lots of powders and lots of barrier creams. Um, I, I changed the the bags from like a very flat bag to a very very deep convex bag. So it was it was you know you get different varying types of um, convexity. It's called. Um, but if you want to talk about creams. Um, <laughs> but um, I, I found that like, after my J pouch, um, I, I had to use a barrier cream, you know, for 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 my for my bum, um, and I can't even remember citrus something or other. Can't even remember what what it was called. Ah, your stomach nurse will help you. But I don't have to use it anymore. I'm I'm like I'm I'm so shocked. I don't have to use it. It's amazing. Um, like, I'm I'm not on any medication. I'm not using any creams. I'm not using any barriers I'm not taking anything it's it's wonderful so um so yeah so I would just um if you ha are having leaky leaks um it's it's very specific the, the the appliances and the products that are out there um it has to it's very specific to your skin type and your body and um so yeah just just ask you ask your stoma nurse um and you know send away for free samples you know just try different things and um, contact the, the, the different pharmaceutical companies i had lots of free stuff um and then i could pick and choose what worked for me and what didn't work for me um but yeah 
And I think, yeah, that's one of the huge advantages of living within the UK. And some of our listeners are over in America and things like that. Your healthcare system is slightly different. But certainly in the UK with the NHS, uh, getting down and seeing your stoma nurse as much as possible, particularly if you are experiencing difficulties. Forums are great, but they are in the know and are able to have that buying power to pull you towards stock. Um, but one of the things that worked for me whenever I was going through that point was um, flange extenders. So it's just like as literally a, a, a semicircle inch thick um, piece of sticky stuff that looks similar to the flange. And it just makes it a little bit bigger and has then for a bigger footprint, therefore it's more adhesive. And then adhesive sprays, it spray that. But the ultimate thing that reduced my bag leaks, shall we say, was um, to just change the bag more frequently. So I would change the bag when it was full at that point, as opposed to emptying it um, or just emptying it. So I'd empty it, then I would change it. Um, and then the other thing that I did with that was was to regularly changing was increasing the irritation around the stoma so i ended up having to use a lot more cream um around there but it was just a sort of normal topical cream that i got from the stoma nurse i don't know what brand it was yeah no i know I was like, um yeah and I, I did try try a few but you know just um whatever they gave me seemed to seem to kind of kind of work really um but yeah gosh i i i changed my bag oh well when i was towards the end you know i was changing it three times a day it was just it was a nightmare um sometimes even more three four times a day but at, at least I, I got to a point uh where i would i would uh i don't know whether it was an addiction or whether it was uh something <laughs> just, a, just being a weirdo um but i would flush i would flush my um oh yeah i would Please. flush it with a water bottle yeah oh. so I'd flush it with and if and I, if I could, I would do it with ice cold water for whatever reason. That just felt really good. Uh, <laughs> I don't think there's any scientific value to that whatsoever, but it seems to work. Um, the next question that I wanted to ask you was about yeah, intimacy during this period for you. Um, I'm not sure if that's something you're comfortable talking about, um, but like, feel free if you don't want to talk about it. We don't have to talk about no, it. No, no. During that time, were you in a relationship um, through the whole process um, or were you single during the process? And mm -hmm. either way, how was that for you in terms of dealing with your libido? Did you feel that you could be with somebody or date somebody? Um, what Was there any sort of things going on there for yourself or how did you deal with them? Um, so, so I was in a relationship when I was diagnosed. Um, let's just say that I'm not now, <laughs> um, pr pretty soon after I was diagnosed. Um, and yeah, that's enough said about that. So that was in 2018, uh, September 2018. And um, yeah, I've, I've really struggled since to be in a relationship and to, um, to, to, to give myself to somebody. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm feeling I'm feeling so much better in myself when, when, when I don't have have an ostomy. Um, and you know, if if I did have an ostomy again, I I would seek um, I would seek some counselling because I, I I didn't want anybody near me. 
I really didn't. Um, and I don't think, I think maybe if I was in a different relationship or maybe if I felt secure in my relationship, um, then it would be different if I did have an ostomy. Um, but for me, for the, the whole period that, that, you know, I had an ostomy, so that's from uh, two, what was it, two, April 2019, all the way up until kind of like now. Um, so that's nearly 19, 20, 21, yeah, two, well, yeah, two years. I haven't wanted anybody near me. Um, and you know, that, that's been, it's, 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 it's been quite a lonely, like lonely period in my life. But I didn't want to, like I knew that I was having surgery. I knew that um, at a stage I was going to have a J pouch and I knew at a stage that I could kind of like open, open that final door and I could walk through and, you know, I could just leave my illness behind me. And you know, and, and and that's the kind of stage that I'm at just now. Whether or not I I ever leave my illness behind me, and you know, whether or not I go forward and 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 I'm poorly again, but very much in in that period of my life, um, I didn't want to start a new relationship because I didn't want the hassle of being ill. I didn't want anybody else to to look after me. I didn't want anybody else near me. I didn't. You know, I, I barely even spoke with my with my closest friends about things. You know, like I barely allowed them to help me. And gosh, I'm so thankful that I've I've got wonderful, wonderful, wonderful friends that have have supported me in the only way that I would allow them to support me. But you know, I think maybe I am like a I'm a strong and independent woman <laughs> um, and to allow somebody else to come in to my journey like halfway through or three quarters of the way through then it, it just wasn't an option for me emotionally I just wasn't going, going to let it happen until I could fix myself or I could fix the problem or I could fix the way I thought about the problem that the problem was wasn't really there, but it, it it was there for me. Gosh, I'm waffling now, aren't I? Um, <laughs> not at all, not at all. I mean, I think the stuff that you're talking about is a lot of um, a lot of what everyone experiences within a relationship, you know. And and at a point where you are at your most vulnerable, a relationship ended uh, for for whatever reason, um, and you know that that can have significant impact. Ending a relationship at any point can have a significant yeah. impact on how you feel about yourself. And yeah. irrespective of what the reasons were behind it, we always doubt ourselves. We always, uh, you know, question, was it me? Irrespective <laughs> of whether or not what the other person did. Um, and, you know, add into that, that you're already feeling uh, emotionally down about yourself. You're concerned about your physical appearance, potentially to attract another mate um, yeah. and all those types of different things. And being very vulnerable at the same time. It's, it's, you There's know, I completely understand. <laughs> yeah. 
it's it's a big 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 minefield and you know, and we you know we could we could dig down into the psychoanalytics of it and talk about uh your feeling of the need to fix and stuff like that but ultimately it's a very emotional period very vulnerable and having been in what you felt was a relationship prior that mm -hmm. ended possibly because of would certainly make you consider whether or not you would find value in entering into another arrangement to get more hurt yeah so totally totally the, the, and, and, and you know, there's the whole kind of trust aspect, and uh, you know, not not only not only are you ill, not only do you, is it an inconvenience to your life, you then start to think that it's going to be an inconvenience to somebody else's life, and you know, you do, you don't want to be like as a partner, you don't want to be an inconvenience to somebody like that. That's not what partnerships all about. Um, so, so I, I think I just had that mindset that I just didn't want to be an inconvenience to anybody, and you know, I, I did have a lot of, um, you know, my, my, I lost self worth and you know a lot of self esteem, and you know, you, again, you don't want to go into a relationship when you're feeling like that about yourself. But, but I also knew that it wasn't going to last forever. I also knew that it would come, that I would come round in time as an individual. And, and I knew that I, I was, you know, I'm not going to stay single forever, but it just had to be, I think for the first, for the first time, it had to be on my terms. And I know that sounds incredibly selfish, and you know, it, I'm, I'm not a, I'm, I, I don't see myself as a selfish person and I don't see myself as a selfish partner by any stretch of imagination. But for the first time in my life, I had to be just selfish and I had to do what was right for me. And you know, whatever I felt, I had to do every day. And, and this isn't just with like, with, with a life partner. This is with my friends as well, you know, like, I cancelled on my friends so much because I, I didn't have the emotional energy to be sociable. I didn't have the emotional energy to put myself continually outside of my house or outside of my safety zone to deal with maybe being fatigued or bag leaks or cramps or, you know, not being able to eat whatever it was that, that, that we were all eating, you know, so... So yeah, I had to become a little bit selfish and just say like, no, it's it's, it's not right for me. Um, but I must admit, like like now, I'm I'm in such a I feel in a really really strong place. And I'm not saying that that's because I don't have a bag attached to me, um, or I'm further along my my IBD journey. Let's call it. I just I'm a lot more focused on what's important to me, um, and I, and I think because I've had that focus all along, that's kept me positive, and that's kept me striving, and through more positive experiences and more self belief in myself, and believing in my body again, and believing in my health again then you know that's 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 made me a happier person and i'm now like 
I'm now open to to sharing my life again. Um, you know, does that make sense? I think that's, that's a really beautiful place to be. I think what you're experiencing potentially now is that you've almost gone through a period of self-discovery and you're now more tuned to who you are as an individual. You're more comfortable with who you are uh, or who you know yourself to be. And therefore, you know, there's, there's the old saying, you can't pour from an empty cup. And, <laughs> you know, you've had to spend this time filling your cup up so that you have something to pour into something else. Um, and like like you're saying about not having the energy, I think that goes, that's like comes with the territory of IBD. Like I will regularly force myself to go out with certain groups. Uh, we call ourselves the apostles. Um, yeah. And right. there's, a, there's a few of them that I hold more dearly um, in, a, in a separate almost bubble to that as well. And yes. they'll, they'll have socials and I'll go... Um, but genuinely, like by after 11, between eleven and one a.m. in the morning, I yeah. am. Do you know what I mean? And it's like yeah. I can barely, barely can see alcohol. Not that I can ever. Nine o'clock. You're lucky. Like nine o'clock is better. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I'm not even kidding. At nine o'clock, I am ready to go. But I'll push through. And like, but from eleven, I'd say I'm on. I'm on that nose dive down. And it's like, I'm not. I'm not partying anymore. I'm just. I'm just there in body. Yeah. Uh, the guys tend to know and you know a couple of them just pick me up and move me about bars and stuff and then <laughs> yeah. it's i really appreciate actually that people still invite me out <laughs> I know, exactly because you've said no so many times or or you've you've got to a certain point in the night and you're like oh God, sorry guys i need to go um yeah that's great <laughs> So um, what would you what would your advice be to, to somebody who's, for example, back at the 2018 Elizabeth? Like what, what would your advice be to that person? Um just you know consultants and doctors and well maybe not, actually maybe not doctors because my doctor didn't really pick up on what was wrong with me. It was my consultant, you know, and consultants haven't got to where they are without seeing multiple different patients, without going through multiple different, you know, professional <laughs> stages in their careers to sit there and look look at you and say, you need to consider surgery. Um, so I think if I had my time again, I would... I would save myself a whole load of heartache and and try and accept <clears throat> accept what what the consultants are telling me and just know that that everything will be okay. Everything won't be okay if if you ignore med medical advice. Everything won't be okay if you decide not to take your prednisolone or if you decide not to go for your infusions because you don't want to go through the infusion center you know everything will not be okay if you have got a fundamental disease um and i think if you know if i was back at that stage now and if i was telling myself anything um i would just tell myself that it, it'll, it'll all be all right um because I'm 
I'm genuinely in disease or not, you know, and maybe my disease is actually, well, actually having IBD has influenced, you know, the, the home I'm in just now, the job that I've got just now, the, the friends that, that I've, I've made just now, you know, ha having IBD is actually probably maybe improved my life in some strange, weird way um, because it's it's altered my path. Um, so I would just say to myself, look, just, just don't worry about it. Like, just be patient, be patient with yourself. Listen to the doctors, take their advice and just don't leave it until you're lying on a bathroom floor for the majority of the day and night thinking my goodness me is this has it has has my bowel perforated am i even going to make it to the hospital you know because that's a scary place to be yeah, yeah lie, lie on a bathroom floor for all the wrong reasons yeah <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah not after, after a night out <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, and hey we've, i've been there and um yeah, it's not it's not a good place to be. So I think that's some great advice for someone who is right at the start, really yeah. questioning everything. And you know, it's a very scary period for anybody to be in, and you know, there's a lot of unknowns. Uh, which is why you know, eventually, when you sometimes get a diagnosis, it is almost a relief because it makes you feel right. There's a course of action now that is open to me that wasn't there. This pathway. Yeah, um, we've reached a part of the show that I call the three truths. Eventually, I've I've robbed it off of a business podcast that I listen to by Lewis Howes. Um, yeah. The way it works is the world is is about to end, or your time within it is about to end for whatever reason. Everything you've ever created, everything you've ever done, has mm -hmm. disappeared, and the people do not have access to it. Um, yeah. What do you believe would be the three truths or three life lessons? Uh, that you would leave for the world to learn from? Wow. Gosh, three truths, three things. Um, I would I would encourage people to be open and honest. You know, I think if, if you've got honesty and, and you can be open, you can then be realistic and you, you, you can deal with anything if you've got open and honest um people around you or if you're open and honest with yourself i would say give yourself a break <laughs> you know if if your body's telling you something it's telling you it for a reason um and i would i just i just say that grab every single opportunity that that, that you can you know if, if your gut is telling you to do something you know <laughs> That's ironic because I've not got half of my gut. But you know, if, if if your gut is telling you to do something, like go with your gut instinct and you know, just grab every opportunity that you can that, that passes you by and you think, Oh, I might give that a go. Or oh, I might try that. Or do you know what? Yeah, why not? Try it. Um because of, yeah, because I I think over the past couple of years I've 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 been quite scared to to do things for fear of maybe failing or maybe not achieving something or maybe even getting ill again, mm -hmm. you know, but, but if you don't know, you don't, 
if you don't try you don't know so yeah that's the most important thing just grab every single opportunity that you can. i think i really i really do think they're great you know honesty and openness uh listening to your body and taking opportunities i think one of the interesting things with taking the opportunities again we talk about a fear of failure and i've been doing a lot of uh, random stuff um on self-development with, uh, with tony robbins and things like that um and one of the interesting things about that is this preoccupation we have with feeling and actually the biggest failure is not to try um, right. because anytime anytime you try something if you don't succeed you learn yeah um, yeah you develop right. and you become yeah definitely yeah i like that so yeah totally with you on that one definitely part of my journey in a minute to yeah. try more things and you know if if it if the interest is there um what was, what was the other one i uh, i'm quite fond of if i can't then i must yeah you must try exactly <laughs> yeah yeah Definitely, because and, and I, I really love what you said there. It, it's a journey, you know. Nothing in life is nothing in life is stagnant. You don't you, you don't know what what's going to happen tomorrow. You don't know what opportunity may be there tomorrow, but then it might not be there the next day. Or you don't know you as a person what what what's what you can and can't do. You know. So so yeah. So you just you just have to have to do anything and everything that that you possibly can. Yeah. Yeah, totally, totally. And that this is a, another one is talking about the the, the importance of now. Um, that's that's proper Irish. That was um, <laughs> the importance of now. Um, as there we go again. The is that you know there's only so much that you can plan for the future. I'm not saying that you should be responsible, and not think about the future, no. but you have no impact yet. You cannot predict it. No, no, you and can't. the past, you, and you cannot change the past. So the only thing that you have within your realm of control or impact is now um, that's all you can do mm -hmm. yeah no, um, i'd just no. like to take a wee moment to appreciate yourself elizabeth for coming on to the show and sharing your journey it's, it's a very brave thing to do and I, I really appreciate you taking the time this evening to to join me on the podcast and and talk and be so honest and open about, <laughs> you know, about your journey um taking that opportunity um, that presented yeah. itself and, and not holding yourself back for fear of, of yeah. failing or disclosing something you weren't comfortable with. But no, honestly, I really appreciate it. And, you know, yeah. just doing what you're doing by putting yourself out there um, as an individual who is struggling or has struggled and has IBD um, will help so many people, uh, whether you think about it or not. The stuff that you do on your social media, just little um, hashtags that you use, draw attention to other people um, that are struggling and they can yeah. see you. And, and I really admire the yeah. the strength of character that you've showed in coming through to where you are now. And it really does show how much self-work that you've had to go through uh, just listening to your story tonight and for you to be now where you are is a credit to yourself. And, you know, you should be really proud to have the outlook that you have now i'm not saying that if you had a different outlook that you should be less proud but <laughs> where you are now is 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 an amazing place and it's amazing to witness it so thank you so much for coming on no 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 thank you and and, and thanks for for you know um broadcasting um people's stories like this you know like i, I mean i oh gosh i hate talking about myself but i normalize 
my illness through listening to your podcast and, and getting on Instagram. You know, I, I used to scroll and scroll and scroll when I was in hospital looking at other women and, you know, a, a, a few men, but mostly women, you know, and it was it was through social media platforms that, that I became more comfortable with myself. So, so yeah, no, thank, thank you very much. Thank you. That's an absolute pleasure. I'm just going to pop you off the screen now and just chat to the people at home. Yeah. Um, okay, guys, so that's bringing us to the end of our show. I think you'll agree Elizabeth has been really brave in coming on and, and discussing her journey and has shared some real emotional moments that hopefully um, some of you out there will have some empathy with. And if you're going through these things at the time or at this time, do not forget that you can reach out and you can talk. And if you want to DM me or DM Elizabeth, I'm sure we'll be able to get back to you and chat. And um, if you're not feeling comfortable with that, just get yourself out there and just look at the other forums and groups. People have, are out there and have gone before and we've got experience with these things and we can say with some level of certainty that you will be okay and everything will be all right. Um, but without further ado, guys, that's the end of the episodes and we'll catch you in the next one. Bye for now. <laughs>